Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, we have officially ended our holdout, and we're reporting to OTAs. And by that, I mean we are sitting in front of these mics, and we're talking ball. Uh, Killing Eve is better than Westworld. Just wanted to put that out there. And David is officially back from Italy. David, what what was your favorite part of Italy? Oh, man. Um, Probably, so we stayed uh, for, for like five days at this resort in the middle of nowhere tuscany that was just like incredible um some straight master nun shit yeah dude it was like it, it looked like the we kept joking the whole time that when you would go like there was this one area that had this incredible view which was like right by where the pool was at and it looked like a painting it looked like it, like nothing this good looking should actually be real it's it's got to be like fake somehow yeah um and that place was made had great food um it was just super relaxing like the whole thing was amazing yeah and then you got sick and then I got sick right toward the end of uh, <laughs> that stay. And uh, yeah, I'm still still kind of getting over it. So if, you, if, if my voice is a little nasally, I apologize. Yeah, that's exactly it. David is still one of the only people I know who manages to get sick on, uh, on a vacation. I just don't to know. To be fair, it's not even me. Uh, it's my wife uh, gets sick every time. And then because like you're in so close proximity at all times, like you're just bound to get it. I, I, I staved it off for a few days, but couldn't, couldn't. Do it got it, you uh, in the, the end. Time, it yeah. got you in the end. Well, to, to kind of get you back into the fold of, of podcasting, the, in, back into the warm embrace that is the early June news cycle that is the NFL because it's oh so rich with events. <laughs> uh, we're going to play a little game. We're going to start off with a game that's going to cover some of the news that's happened since you've been gone and also has happened recently. We're going to play a game called Who Am I? It's really to catch David up on the NFL happenings and to see if he's caught up. We're going to play a game where I'm going to read him a Jeopardy-style clue from the perspective of the player, and David will try to guess who I'm referring to. So if I were to say something like, I'm a former 49ers coach, and it seems like I always want cake now, the answer would be... Uh, Jim Harbaugh. That's exactly right. You get the game. Listeners at home, I think you get the game too. Let's go ahead and get started. All right, David, who am I? I think I'm part of the greatest wide receiving core in the NFL, but most people think I'm just blowing smoke. Uh, I'm Josh Gordon. That's exactly right. I catch that one. Yeah. <laughs> Good old Josh Gordon, man. Uh, you know, I, I would think he would have relapsed based on his comments. All, all I'm saying. All just I'm saying, saying. Random drug test coming after that comment. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Question number two. I call my quarterback James even though Wikipedia is the only time that name is used. Who am I? Oh, man. Um, I did see a couple players here. Am I Richard Sherman? You are indeed Richard Sherman. Technically, yeah. I, I would have accepted two answers to that. Uh, Richard Sherman or Adrian Colbert, who actually gave that nickname to Jimmy Garoppolo. But I think that the funniest comment about this I read on Reddit was that it's official. Dick calls his Jimmy James. Wait, so do we actually know why? So I, I've seen like the reference to James and it keeps like, I think the last thing that I saw was during uh, actually Jimmy's press conference today. Somebody asked him about it like uh, yeah, and he, he, and he says, uh, ask, ask Adrian about it. Like he'll tell you the story. Yeah. Do we, have we actually got the story? No, I mean, the story is basically that Adrian Colbert is like the nickname giver. Uh, and he because he's by all accounts, he's the most gregarious person in the locker room outside of like Joe Staley, who's got a TV show about it. And he he's the giver of nicknames. And he gave Jimmy Garoppolo the nickname James because that's his that's his government name. That's his legal name. And and he gave Uncle Sherm the name Uncle Sherm, which Uncle Richard Sherman, Sherman hates. Yeah, right. Of because, course. you know, he's old. 
And uh, and yeah, that's that's basically the long and the short of it. All right. yeah, nickname giver. All right. All right. Uh, clue number three. I'm mad at my former team because they didn't give me a courtesy tryout, even though I was 12 years removed from my star run. Oh, man, this has got to be uh, Terrell Owens. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. 12 years after he ran to the star, he, he wanted a tryout because he thought that's what the 49ers owed him. Checks out. And yeah, and then he was real mad when they didn't give him that tryout. <laughs> and then he decided to, like, I don't know, he just, this dude's weird, man. He's a Hall of Fame wide receiver. There's no question oh, about it in my no mind. no question. But he's a weird dude. Yes. Weird, no weird No question dude. about that either. Holds grudges. Like, I don't know, man. I mean, he's still talking about how Mariucci and his relationship was like, you know, like they had a falling out and how the team didn't treat him right. And yeah. Damn, it's like, that was half my life ago. Get over it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, so next question. I thought, or next clue, I should say. I thought this quarterback could hack it. But instead, I get to keep a seventh round pick after cutting someone I thought was a surefire first round pick. Who am I? Um, I mean, so the player is Hackenberg, Christian Hackenberg, that's being referenced. I could be. Uh, Sources are not confirming quite yet. So, I like John. Is it John Gruden? It is indeed John okay. Gruden. Ding ding ding. I did not. I did not actually see that comment, but I did pick up that that Hackenberg uh, yeah. was cut, and which is hilarious. Yeah, it was. It's hilarious. He was a second round pick, and John Gruden, back when Hackenberg was in the pre draft process, said he would be surprised if Hackenberg was on a first round pick. And then he traded for him for a conditional seventh round pick and then cuts him before ever getting to training camp. Oh, I loved everyone. So like my favorite part of this whole Hackenberg stuff was today there was a bunch of screenshots going around uh, on Twitter from Pete Prisco and talking about how much that he loved uh, Christian Hackenberg coming out and that he was going to be better than Jameis Winston and like all the stuff that's just pure gold. Absolutely. Gold. Uh, Freezing cold takes, I believe, is the Twitter (laughs) account. You got to refer that to. All right. Next clue. My favorite type of milk. Is titty milk? <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, man, I have I have no idea on this one. <laughs> this no, is the best quote. No idea. It's, it's Travis Kelsey. <laughs> it's Travis Kelsey, <laughs> and immediately Travis Kelsey it just catapults to the top of the tight end list. Oh, he really is baby Gronk, isn't he? He is. He is baby Gronk. He's amazing. Yep. All right. Next up, I showed Nick Foles my full back tattoo of a quarterback holding a Lombardi Trophy. Standing on the rocky steps. Who am I? Uh, random dumb Philadelphia Eagles fan? Ding, ding, ding. You are correct. <laughs> random Philadelphia fan who had a full back tat, a full back tat of Nick Foles holding the Lombardi trophy, standing on the rocky steps. And my favorite was Nick Foles' reaction. That's cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of. Uh, of uh, John Oliver when he does Last Week Tonight and he like has this big long segment and he just goes, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, if I'm that fan and that happened, what do you, I mean, I'm just like ready to jump off a bridge. I just spent like all this pain and money getting this massive tattoo on my back that's never going to go away and I showed it to the guy that I'm trying to honor here and he's just like, that's cool, man. Cool. Yeah, exactly. All right, and last question. Uh, I partied with the pre-draft Johnny Manziel. Oh, um, I'll accept two answers here. Two answers. Do I get hints? Can I, can I off the hip? Shoot off the hip. I have no idea. Um, Josh Gordon. No, that would have been full (laughs) circle and it would have been awesome. Uh, Uh, no, I have no idea. Gronkowski. 
Apparently, oh, yeah. Johnny Manziel yeah. went to his pre-draft visit for the New England Patriots, and Gronkowski calls him, and he's like, hey, I saw on Twitter or Instagram or whatever that you're here. Let's go party. And they try to open a bottle of wine in the hotel room, and he spilled it everywhere, and like got her, and Johnny Manziel got it all over the ceiling and stuff, and was afraid to call the the hospital the, the hospital staff the hotel staff because he thought it was like going to be monitored by the Patriots and this that and the other, and yeah, there's a whole story. Uh, I also would have accepted everyone in Texas. Sure, fair, yeah, fair. So yeah, so that's that's the Who Am I game, David. You acquitted yourself well. Not bad. Despite, uh, not, despite not being in the country, you did a pretty good job. I'm pleased. I haven't been paying super close attention. So. Yeah. So let's get to the mailbag. We put out a call for questions earlier today. We got lots of questions on Twitter, lots of questions on Facebook. We're going to chunk them into a couple of major categories. One, Garoppolo. Two, linebackers. Three, pass rush. Four, offensive line. Five, breakout players and general roster things. And then we're going to get to a speed round, and that'll be our illustrious return. Next week, we're going to start digging into scheme month, which is, I mean, basically next month is the dead zone of NFL, you know, kind of coverage because it's the time between OTAs and training camp when players are basically doing everything they can to not get arrested. Uh, and that's the only news that you really care about. So we're going to spend those four weeks digging into some schematic themes and topics that we think are important. Uh, and leading up to that, let's get to, let's get to these major sections and answer your questions about the old 49ers. First up is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. This was uh, something that you were not prepared for coming back from Italy. David? I was not. Not at all. Why were you not prepared for these questions? So this whole thing about Garoppolo's deep ball uh, keeps coming up. So it's like, as, again, we call for questions and, and all of a sudden you start seeing this one like come up. What, are, what about the reports about Jimmy Garoppolo's deep ball? And I'm like, what's going on? Did something like happen? Is he like doing so like in my mind this is a thing that we've known right like we talked about this at length many times last year during the the five game stretch that we have with garoppolo and so i'm like oh is he like looking good on, with deep ball in practice or something like that and it's turn around or like what's what's going on and so uh i had to ask you for like clarification as to like what how did this come about like what is happening here and basically what happened is that uh, i think months ago someone named brett coleman put up a video about Jimmy Garoppolo and did some film analysis on Jimmy Garoppolo. And the general consensus was that he loved Jimmy Garoppolo's game, but he had what he called terrible footwork and issues with his with his mechanics because he wasn't able to um, open up his hips and kind of turn into his throw, and, and that affected his, his deep ball, and that he wasn't going to be a great quarterback, a truly great Tom Brady-esque quarterback, until he fixed this thing. Uh, and pointed his feet in a particular direction, and, and off you go. And so th- this has been kind of bubbling under the surface. And and you know, I mean, it's just it's it's true that Jimmy Garoppolo's least effective throws were his deep downfield throws. Right. And so now that we're getting practice reports in year two, and some of those practice reports are saying that his deep ball is you know one of his the weakest parts of his game. People are starting to say, well, what about his footwork? And are they worried? And what's Shanahan doing? And you know the typical fan questions. Sure. And, and so as a result. We got those questions as well. We got one from friend of the pod, David Cochran. Uh, he asks, hey, how concerned are you about Jimmy's problems with the deep ball? How can opposing defenses use that against the Niners this season? We've got a second this question from Jared Rice. We got two more questions about that on Twitter. We got a couple on, on Facebook. Everyone is worried about Jimmy Garoppolo's deep balls, and it's taking everything in me to not make a joke. I'm not. I just opened my beer. It's too early for me to make these kinds of jokes, but y'all make it too easy. Too easy. Uh, but okay, oh, God. okay, so yeah. The, the so core let's, question, let's dive David, into it. Okay, so the, the the core question is: Are you concerned? Let's answer that question before we talk about the rabbit hole we went down earlier today. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, I think, I mean, a, a little bit, right? Uh, I think this was the clear weakness. And so I guess the level of concern, like a scale of one to 10, my concern is like, I don't know, a five or a six or something like that. Like, I it's mean, le- six seems to be pretty high. It's it's legitimate, right? It, it is a legitimate thing that happened last year that he wasn't good on those throws. Like, that's that's totally legit to say. Um, I think now, Matt, Matt Barrows had a, an article today uh, that said uh, that the headline was alert, alert. We've detected a possible flaw in Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, and the sub headline was he's got deep issues. Uh, and, and he says that his adjusted completion percentage was 31.3 percent on throws that were 20 yards or more downfield. And if he had enough to qualify enough throws to qualify, that would have been tied for 31st out of 35 quarterbacks in the category. Right. Yeah. I mean, the the thing is. Again, legitimate issue with what we saw last year. However, it's a very limited number of throws, right? So we're talking about 16 throws that he had that were that traveled 20 yards or more in the air. Um, and, and so it's hard to know how much to take away from that just yet, um, especially because deep ball accuracy when it comes to like adjusted completion percentage and stuff like that, because you're dealing with a lower subset of a quarterback's throws, right? That's typically the sm- when you look at uh, by depth, right? Short, intermediate, deep. Like those deep throws are the smallest chunk of throws that you're working with on a seasonal basis. So it, there's already a solid amount of fluctuation there from season to season. So, uh, yeah, I think it's on one hand, it's fair to say that he struggled there last year. That was by far the weakest aspect of his game. But it's also fair to say, like, that doesn't necessarily tell us anything about whether those struggles are going to continue next season and on into the future. If you're a longtime listener to the podcast, you are familiar with something called the ONR, the Oscar Nerves Rating. This was back in the day when I used to get worried about games and stuff. And I was like really, really anxious. And I was like, oh, God, what's going to happen? And I'd have like an O&R that I would rate. Like, I'm at a nine. Oh, my God, this sucks. Um, yeah, this is like maybe taking like a maybe a three or a four. I'm not all that worried. And I'm not worried yeah. for two reasons. One, I think that, you know, we, we David already mentioned the limited sample size. And two, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is already a damn good quarterback with this flaw. And it's not as if I'm going to sit here and presume that he's a fully formed quarterback. He still has ways to grow and things to develop. Tom Brady was not a fully baked quarterback four years into his tenure. Neither was Aaron Rodgers. These players are great because they continue to refine the little things and they continue to get better over their career. And I think that Jimmy Garoppolo, I would hope that he's on that same trajectory where the team saw that in him that they saw, okay, you're going to prepare and learn and practice, and you're not just going to be content with where you are right now, because that's in, that, in my mind, is what separates the greats from you know the almost greats. And, yeah. and I think that, that I would hope that Shanahan and Lynch would have seen that in Garoppolo to give him the kind of contract that they did. Absolutely. I, again, I think it's it, there's really two separate questions or, or, or aspects of this question, right, that uh, you have to make sure that, that we're clear on. Like, it's one thing to say... Yes, this was an issue for him last year. No like qualms about that at all. I'm not going to debate that at all. Um, however, yeah, like you mentioned, um, if anybody is taking that bit of evidence and using that to effectively say that like this is going to limit him from the rest of his career, he's never going to be a great quarterback because of this. He can't fix it. He's never going to improve here. Like those are conclusions that you shouldn't be reaching based on what we know right now. I, I mean, I think. It's, yeah, likely little things that you're going to be able to clean up over time. I mean, uh, there was a quote, uh, David Lombardi from The Athletic uh, talked to the quarterback coach. Um, Rich, Rich Scangarelli. Scangarello or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and so, and he mentioned like one of the things is 
uh, the deep passes in this offense in the Shanahan offense, right, tend to be play action, play action shot plays, right? So as a quarterback, you're turning your back to the defense, you're faking this handoff, you're rolling out a little bit, and then you're chucking the ball 40, 50 yards deep. And that's how they take the majority of their deep passes, right? You think of like the Marquise Goodwin deep post routes um, that, that they connected on like that is kind of how the majority of those deep passes come about. That's never something that he's really had to do throughout his football career so far. It wasn't something he did in college. It isn't something that New England does a whole hell of a lot of. Um, and so he didn't have a ton of experience with it there. And so it's adapting to that. Um, and then also, like, from a mechanics standpoint, there is probably little things that he needs to clean up, right? I asked um, Zach Robinson, who uh, works for PFF now, kind of quarterback guru for, for us at PFF, uh, of course, was an NFL quarterback, college football quarterback at Oklahoma State. Um, and, and kind of like he's he's somebody that for PFF goes and watches every single throw of every quarterback throughout the season. And so he's as qualified as anyone to basically be, you know, compare how significant of a flaw this is or, or how much of a concern it is. And basically all that he really had to say about it is, yeah, like sometimes on those deep throws, he doesn't necessarily what, what he said, get all the way through the th- through the throw. And that's really uh, more of like he's not fully rotating his body getting behind the throw, it's opening those hips up and being able to kind of drive and really spin the ball in a way that it doesn't kind of like float and get caught up a little bit and sail a little bit on him. Um, and, and again, it, it's not, it, it, it is what it is. It was there last year, but to say that like he can't correct some of these little things uh, in the future is, is a little misguided for sure. Yeah. And so ultimately I think the, the Brett Coleman analysis, cause I, I've seen on Reddit too, where people kind of discount him full stop. And, and I don't think that's the right thing to do either. I think he has identified something is, is this mechanical issue? The, the sole single source of that? I, I don't know. Because there are also quarterbacks who are very good at divorcing their lower body from their upper body. And Aaron Rodgers comes to mind when you think about quarterbacks that can succeed even though their feet and their, and their upper body aren't in sync. And that's what makes Aaron Rodgers so great. So, you know, is Garoppolo going to go down that trajectory? I don't know. Is he going to go down a trajectory where he needs to fix this in order to be more effective with this deep ball? I, I don't know that either because there is no uniform biomechanical way that every person needs to operate to throw the ball efficiently. If you look at Philip Rivers, here's a guy who throws the ball and he looks like he's shot putting it. It's the ugliest throw I've ever seen, but he's a really, really effective quarterback. And you look at Aaron Rodgers and he's able to effectively divorce his upper body from his lower body. And he's fantastically effective at throws all over the field. And and then you look at someone like Tom Brady and he is a bit more consistent in his footwork and 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 so there are different ways to skin that cat that quarterback cat I think where Garoppolo is going to fall I don't know it it, it am I going to say though that like am I really worried about this no because he's got a fantastic environment around him that is going to help him in all the ways he needs to be helped he already has shown fantastic talent at his position even if this continues to be a flaw and and so I think about, you know, environment and player, and I think to myself, we're probably in a good spot. I'm not that worried. Right. Yeah. Again, both things can be true, right? Garoppolo can be already a very good quarterback, and we've uh, talked at length many episodes about why we think his performance from last year is sustainable and, uh, you know, how he succeeded in the right areas to, to make you feel confident that that's going to continue in the future. And he can also have things that he still needs to improve, right? And uh, this can definitely be one of those things, you know, who... Who knows what, you know, he's necessarily going to be. I'm not necessarily like comfortable throwing out the Aaron Rodgers thing. Aaron Rodgers does some freaky shit, right? With his body, that's not necessarily something that you point to as like an example of what 
people can normal people can do, right? Well, we so I don't know that he's going to do that, but I don't know that like again, I guess it's just like that level of uncertainty with his deep ball and whatever the issue may be and, and whatever he needs to do mechanically to fix it can be an unknown, but it can be something that's fixable. Right? Well, the only reason I think we bring Aaron Rodgers up is because Aaron Rodgers is someone whose mechanics very clearly changed over the course of his career. Sure. He's someone who was the the Tedford mechanical quarterback, hold the ball right by the ear and, and that whole thing. And then once he got to the NFL, it changed dramatically. And and now, of course, he's he's a player who does just Again, like you said, freaky shit. So that there's there's no way to know where that's going to go. In ten years, we could be talking about Jimmy Garoppolo as one of the best deep ball passers in the NFL. Yeah, who knows? I mean, uh, Brady is is a, a great example of somebody that I guess is maybe a little bit more traditional from a mechanic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, is absolutely improved his deep ball over time. Brady, yeah. that was like a huge weakness for him for yep. a very long time was accuracy on deep passes. Uh, and then suddenly, like over the last two, three seasons, he's been incredible. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, again, anybody taking this bit of evidence and suggesting that this is something that Garoppolo is always going to deal with uh, is wrong. Like quarterbacks, especially those kind of committed to working on their craft, which Garoppolo appears to be like one of those type of guys, like they're going to be able to improve these little things as yeah. their career goes. And on. I think that's it is it's it's not the footwork that I'm worried about because that's not what's telling in this. It is what's going on with Garoppolo kind of between his ears because that to me is more important about whether or not he's dedicated and willing to put the work into getting better. Sure. And, and I would think and, and no one really outside of the 49ers building knows that for sure. No one does. And, and I would hope that Lynch and Shanahan, if they were comfortable giving giving him that contract, then they're comfortable with his ability to learn and do those kinds of things within the building. Totally. So that so again, not super worried at all. Uh, nor do I think y'all should be worried about him and his deep ball. All right, let's get to linebackers. Next big segment. So we get a, a question from Sean Phillips. What do you envision the linebacker core looking like now that Ruben Foster will be back? Fully integrated, legal troubles out of the way. Uh, it's it's been one heck of a ride. Uh, but he is back at OTAs, practicing with the first team. All right, what's the line, what's that linebacker core looking like, David? I mean, hopefully what it ends up being is that you have Foster and Fred Warner as your two off-ball linebackers, right? And that's, again, th- those are the guys that are going to be on the field for the bulk of the snaps. You're not going to have a ton of snaps where you have three linebackers on the field. I mean, when you start looking at Sam, I think that's, you know, the one that's uh, maybe a little bit more iffy. I mean, Eli Harold is obviously the guy that is, I, guess, I would say, probably penciled in right now just because that was his spot last year. Uh, and so being the incumbent, he probably is going to get the first crack at it. But I think you have, um, you know, some other options there. Potentially, I mentioned uh, before, like if you're really trying to get uh, Malcolm Smith on the field and, and suddenly you do believe that he's like your third best guy, um, I wouldn't be too surprised to see Warner get a little bit of action at Sam either, just because when he was in college, uh, he did play up on the line of scrimmage up at, like as an edge defender as the Sam does in this scheme. So uh, that's not unfamiliar territory for him. Like whether they'll go that direction, uh, who knows? But I, I certainly don't think that's his ideal spot. But I think you you can mix and match these guys in, a, in some different ways. But ultimately, when you're in your sub packages and you have two linebackers on the field, those two should hopefully be Foster and Fred Warner. Yeah, one of the other questions we got was about whether or not Mike, whether it matters who plays Mike and who plays Will. And ultimately, in this game, it, it doesn't really all that much. It matters more so on base downs. Base downs, of course, being first down, second down. But base downs are not the same as base personnel. Base personnel, 
I mean, at this point, is basically nickel because that's the personnel that you play the most often. And in nickel personnel, you're only playing two linebackers. And it doesn't really matter whether one is Mike or one is Will. They're both effectively doing similar types of things in the defense. And, and even to a certain degree within base personnel, where, uh, you know, tr- what is traditionally considered base personnel, which is, you know, the, in, our, in our parlance, it'd be a 4-3 with three linebackers, the Mike and Will are a little interchangeable. And, and so it, it doesn't really matter all of that much. Um, but my, my question to you, though, is that, David, earlier in the, the Niners season, Ruben Foster did try to play a little bit of, a little bit of Mike. And it wasn't all that successful. Like they tried him there, they put the green dot on his helmet, and they were like, oh, "No, let's let's go ahead and put you back." Um, and and so even though both those positions are interchangeable, it, it didn't seem like Ruben Foster handled the position change all that well, even last year. Um, what do you think accounted for that? Was it just him being a rookie, or was there something else at play about the way the positions are in the defense? I mean, the main thing that's, that differentiates the two is the communication element. So the the Mike has more responsibilities for getting the front and the right look, right? Making sure that everybody's aligned properly, communicating any sort of checks. So there's a lot more that the Mike has to be thinking about and be aware of and, and helping the rest of his teammates get in the right position. Whereas uh, it will in this scheme, you don't really have a lot of those same responsibilities. So as Kyle Shanahan actually put it today, like it, it allows him to be a little bit more play like the water boy, right? And just kind of fly around and hit people is, is what he's been calling him. So someone said, uh, uh, think Adam Sandler. They said like the water boy, like Adam sounds like, no, no, no. The water boy, like Bobby Boucher. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Bobby Boucher. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I think that's kind of where they like Ruben the most, right? Where he can just kind of, uh, you know, fly around, use his athleticism and, and be able to make plays all over the field. And, and so I think if if that's fine, if you want to take stuff off of his plate, uh, you know, from the, the mental side of things and in the communication side of things, uh, just to make him a more effective and, and faster playing football player once the snap uh, hits, then I think that's totally fine. But really, that's that's all that it is. I mean, you know, teams, it, it's the the game is much different now, right? Than when you look at these old kind of like uh, position definitions and uh, where you had, you know, like your your Mike and Sandbackers were the guys taking on all the blocks and the Will was kind of running around. Like teams run to the weak side now. Like, you know, it's not like they're lining up with uh, basic, you know, two back, one tight end personnel, and they're going to run at the tight end side every single time that they run the ball, right? It doesn't really like teams don't operate that way anymore. So there's more because offenses are more diverse and they're willing just as uh, willing to run weak side as they are willing to run strong side. Like you're still going to have to take on blocks at times. And then there's going to be opportunities where you can run around. I think when you get into nickel and you, you have a little bit more space to work with in the box there, again, from an assignment standpoint, uh, they're going to be very similar. And, and especially the techniques that they're going to play as off-ball guys, all that stuff is going to be very sim- similar. And that's why you'll hear Shanahan say uh, repeatedly that those are kind of interchangeable positions for us. We want guys be- being able to play both spots. The difference is, okay, who's going to handle the communication for the defense? Yeah, and when you think about why then it makes sense to put someone like Malcolm Smith at Mike, it's because the position doesn't require that much difference in terms of what you have to do. But Malcolm Smith is someone who is well-versed in this defense, and he is someone who can make sure that everyone's aligned correctly and then he gets the calls correctly. And so that is where the value of Malcolm Smith comes when you play him at Mike and then you let Warner or anyone else play at Will. So it makes a bit of sense then to see the, the camp reports of someone like Malcolm Smith play at Mike, even though even in the Seattle scheme, he played at Will, and, and that is probably his more natural position. So ultimately, Will... And Mike, you know, don't get caught up in those distinctions. And, and it's probably more important to get more caught up in, in what 
and who communicates what. And it probably makes a bit of sense to have someone who's a bit more experienced in the scheme play Mike, even if a nickel, which is what they're going to play 60% of the time, they're going to be playing roughly the same goddamn thing. Yeah, yeah. If you want to throw the veteran at Mike to, to handle communication, then like, so be it. Like, yeah. whatever. Yeah, that, that part, don't look too much into it. Yeah. All right. Next group of questions is going to be around the pass rush. And we've got a couple of really good questions about the pass rush because this is something that is on a lot of fans' minds, I'm sure, especially because of that damn buzzword that I wish would go away. And that's Leo. Yeah, man, Mike and Will's creeping right up there with it. It's like we're attached to these position names, man. It's just like we're getting a list of uh, I think we're probably going to compile a list of banned words. Like I used to work in social media and we had a list of of banned words for community managers. And our our list was a thousand and eight words long. Well, at one point, we put ratchet on the list mm. for like super conservative, you know, community managers. But but basically, it's these words that like people get overly attached to that. You really shouldn't. You shouldn't. And one of them, like number one on that list for me is Leo. Everyone is like, oh, what about the Leo? What about the Leo? And honestly, and we've said it before on the podcast, we probably did some of that too when we, you know, like the Leo became a thing and it's like, oh, we're getting this new defense and there's a Leo and the elephant and yay, words. But ultimately, I mean, what the hell is a Leo? A Leo's a weak side defensive end, the open side defensive end. It's a dude that's going to rush the passer off yeah. the edge of the formation. And, like, and, that's, and that's really it. all it comes down to. And that's it. And, and when you're thinking about what that means on, you know, base downs and base formations, it's different than someone in, in the nickel, right? And so ultimately, Leo is not like this one solve-all position that plays all four downs. You, you can put multiple people there and you can switch personnel packages like most defenses in the NFL do nowadays. So when we get to these questions, right, one from Brandon Newton, without a stud Leo option, does it make sense to think that Salah gets tricky and brings more pressure with exotic defensive pl- defensive back blitzes? Um, you know, sure, but I don't think we're going to see, like, an increase in the number of defensive back blitzes. I think he's just, just going to blitz. mind, whenever you hear Leo, just replace that with, like, edge rusher, right? So again... Uh, it doesn't really matter what you call. You can call it whatever you want. Like the 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 name of it is just a communication element, like internally for the team is really so they know who who what position they're playing, where they're lining up, all that shit. But practically, like what that is is he's again, it's a player that lines up on the edge of the defense, like the edge of the offensive line, and is going to rush the passer, right? Yeah, and that's do you think, what it's getting after. And do you think that this year, like Saul is going to be like, oh well, don't have a Leo or an edge rusher, like let's send more defensive back blitzes, like. So, I mean, I get that train of thought, right? Um, I don't know. I think this defense, uh, this the scheme is kind of more conservative by nature. It's it's far more bend don't break um, type of thing. You know, it's you think about the coverage and and really how they play everything, and it's we want to uh, eliminate the deep ball. We really want to keep everything in front of us, and then we want to have these athletes in our back seven that are fast and that can come up and make tackles and limit yards after the catch, right? And, and we're essentially saying that you're not going to be content throwing the ball four yards down the field, play after play, and that eventually you're going to make mistakes when you try to push it downfield into the strength of our defense, and then we're hopefully going to be able to capitalize on those mistakes, right? That's kind of your core philosophy stopping the pass. And so while I see like the the train of thought that gets you from, okay, we don't have great edge rushers, teams, a lot of teams that will, you know, that don't, that are in that situation will therefore send more players after the passer, right? Getting after the passer is a key for, Basically, every defense, you always want to be able to pressure that guy and, and bother him in the pocket. And so if you can't do it with four, well, let's send five or six and see if we can do it that way. Um, I would say maybe in some situations, like some key situations, right? It needs to be there that you hopefully 
have some packages there that are effective and you can take advantage of some of the 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 versatile like athletes that you have at linebacker and well Salah's already Salah's already shown a couple of of tendencies in blitzing his nickel defensive back and zone blitzing and dropping a defensive tackle into coverage and while we've constantly make fun of dropping defensive linemen into coverage because I'm not a huge fan of it that's not uncommon in the NFL it happens somewhere near like you know six or eight percent of the time on on defenses uh, across the board so that that's the kind of stuff that you're going to continue to see from Sala I don't think that's going to change next year just because Marsh is rushing the pat is rushing the passer as opposed to Doomerville you know and so Steve then asked a question Steve Wood on Twitter asks you know I keep hearing about this Leo by committee what is that supposed to look like well, it's going to look like any team that that changes personnel throughout the game, right? Like they're going to have one personnel package in there, and then the offense is going to send in three wide receivers, and then all of a sudden the defense is going to send in players to match. And you're going to rotate who that rusher is between you know Cassius Marsh and Adichu and anyone else that they feel can get to the passer, whether that be Eli Harold or maybe it's going to be in you know a more exotic look, and they're going to blitz Fred Warner. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to continue to see like they're they're going to have to try different guys out there, right? Yeah. They don't have uh, set options that, that that are reliable, like proven producers at that spot. And so, yeah, like the the guys you mentioned, Marsh, uh, Atauchu, I think you know, I think we probably will see some Solomon Thomas rushing off the edge. They're they're almost certainly going to have some packages where you want to still get. Uh, Buckner, Armstead, and Solomon Thomas all in the field at the same time, and and I feel like a lot of the times if you have those three, like Solomon Thomas is the one that makes most sense to kick outside. Um, but you're gonna have you're you're going to. I think the key point there is you're not going to see the same guys lining up on the edge rushing the passer every single play, right? And, and this is where I think the next question from Wyoming Sean becomes important: is th- does anyone get more than the six and a half sacks at Doomerville? led the team with last year and i think based on how we're talking about different formational versatility do you think someone's going to get that nine ten sack or do you think it's going to be a lot of people with four and five sacks um i think the only one that has a shot really a a realistic shot at this point is buckner um i don't think there's an edge player that that gets there i would be to me that would be like a pretty big upset i think it's it's kind of uh incredibly optimistic to project one of these current edge players to reach that like to reach seven plus sacks um i, I think so i think the the player the team is most enthused about is cassius marsh and the player that i think fans are seeing most likely to to see that is is out over under let's call it six and a half uh does cassius marsh over under six and a half uh under yeah uh and out over under six and a half under all right, so and it makes sense for Buckner just because even in in, in pre OTA reports we were we were hearing about how they want to funnel more sacks into DeForest Buckner. They want to have the edge yeah. rushers. I mean, Marsh has six sacks in his career over three years, um, <laughs> and, and so uh, I mean, and let's see. I mean, Atauchu has uh, he hit six sacks that, once that he has one year ten total sacks in his but, career. But remember we we did a breakdown of years. we did a breakdown of Adichu, or at least I did I feel like in in either for the podcast or yeah when we signed him and a lot of his sacks that year were cleanup sacks. They were second effort sacks. Oh yeah, most I mean sacks again in general are like are very random and unpredictable and a lot of that uh is is luck, you know. Sometimes it's an offensive lineman blows an assignment and you get a free run or uh, again yeah, cleanup sack where uh, somebody else does, on the team does most of the work and the quarterback gets flushed and he happens to roll right into you. And so you get to be, be able to be the one that gets the sack, but it's not necessarily a play where you 
dominated or won your block or, or anything like that. So I think there's a lot of variance already that goes into sacks. And then when you don't have, uh, you know, guys that have any sort of proven production, you know, to be able to even reach that level consistently in which again, that level six and a half sacks, like isn't a high level. Like that's not like a, a super yeah. high bar to reach. Right. And even, what did um, Aaron Donald have last year? So that's the thing where it, when you, when you transition to interior defenders, uh, it's a little bit different, right? So, I mean, looking at, I have, uh, you know, the PFF uh, pressures, which is, as far as sacks goes, we don't do half sacks. So these will probably differ a little bit from the the official sack totals. But uh, as far as interior defenders, Cam Hayward led with 14. Aaron Donald had 12. Only nine players had seven or more. Yeah. So, you know, I would Buckner, think I would think Buckner would probably get into the high single digits. And I think that would be a phenomenal year for Buckner. If he yeah, gets around eight or nine. Totally. Approaching single digits for an interior defender like that is uh, is is no joke. It's yeah. harder to get sacks from the interior. Yeah. And, and I think that if, if he ends up with about eight and then you have Atachu and Atachu, Atachu, we're great with names on the Better Rivals podcast. Uh, you're probably right. Uh, so with Atachu getting probably somewhere near five, maybe Marsh throwing in another five. You know, Armstead getting one or two, Solly getting one or two. Um, you're approaching into like a, you know, a pressure by committee area. Um, and ultimately, we care more about pressures anyway. So, yeah, I mean, really, all all that matters is that you can generate consistent pressure as a team. Right. And uh, I think even if you don't have a standout rusher, which I mean, again, Buckner is a standout rusher as an interior guy, but it's hard to pile up sacks that way. But as long as you as a unit are able to pressure the quarterback Wherever those sacks come from doesn't really matter. I don't think there's going to be one standout guy. All right, so last two categories, last three before we get to our speed round are going to be offensive line, breakup players, and surprise cut. So offensive line, we got a really good question from Niner Faithful 916. And first of all, I want you to answer the question from Twitter before you get to the real question. The question directly from Twitter, why are tackles and centers so important at Shanahan's office? I didn't even notice the misspell uh, or the typo there. Um, I don't know, man. You know, he, he wants to feel protected in his office. You know, it's, that's it what should I'm be saying. A place of peace for him. You can get some work done, and you want those tackles and centers. You can't fit the guards like in the doorway too. You know, so you the just guards gotta, are outside the doorway. Yeah, that's why they don't matter because centers in the office, communicate centers and, and tackles are important in the <laughs> office. The office, yes, but that's not what, of course, the question is all about. The question asks. Why are tackles and centers more important or so important in Shanahan's offense? So tackles, I think, is more of a general tackles are just important, right? Tackles are the most important position on the offensive line because that's where most of your pressure comes from. As we were just talking about with the 49ers D-line uh, pressure, even though you do have a number of very good interior defenders that, that are a problem for, for guards in uh, centers in the league right now. Uh, the majority of pressure across the NFL still comes from the edges. And so tackles are, are your most important position in terms of keeping your quarterback upright and, and making sure that he has time to get the ball out. And so I think that's a more general, just like if you're not valuing tackles as an offense, you're doing something very wrong. And then when it comes to centers, I think specifically for Shanahan's offense, you're looking at a an offense that is predicated a lot on the outside zone run. And the outside zone run has a really, really difficult block for the center to consistently get. That's that reach block. And and when you're able to get a center that can do that effectively and do that effectively consistently, you're setting your offense up for a lot. Alex Mack showed this in Atlanta. I mean, it really catapulted that offense because they were able to sign Alex Mack. And so I think that the center, both in terms of helping the offense at protections and making sure that he can help a guard on either side, 
ultimately what you're doing is you're saying, well, you have to not only execute a really difficult block in the run game, but then in addition to that, you've got to be smart enough to know where to help the guard on either side. And, and that's where that center is ultimately going to help the guards be better. And so when you, when you think about the offensive line as a unit, you think tackles are where I have to protect my passer. The center has a really difficult block in the run game, and he's the guy I'm relying on to help a guard on either side. That's more important because, you know, weak guards can still get help. Yeah, I think the the center definitely is more is a more run focused priority, right? Like that's really um, where he's looking at because again, like you mentioned, those blocks are very difficult, and and the ability to do those, uh, you know, execute those blocks consistently, but also like the key part is without help. Um, we've talked a lot about the zone blocking scheme over the years and how a lot of times you're looking at creating these double teams, right? And then eventually somebody's going to get up to the second level. If you are in a situation where you can have a center get that reach block of the guy that's like in his, you know, that's lined up over his shoulder, right? It's going to be a really tough block for him to get all the way around that guy and seal him off. If he can do that without help from the guard and the guard can just straight release up to the linebacker, he's going to have an easier time making that because he's also got kind of a tough angle to go get a guy that's far more athletic than him. So if he has the benefit of not needing to first help on the down lineman and can just release straight up to the second level, uh, it just allows you to do a lot more things in the run game and, and kind of freeze things up there. So I think, yeah, tackles, pass, you know, pass game, very important there. Every team values tackles center in this offense specifically because of the contributions in the run game. And the next question here in the offensive line section is what's going on with Josh Garnett and the offensive line? Is the guard position still something to worry about? Um, and also thanks Steve Wood for missing the poop emoji out of us over the last few weeks. <laughs> So I think overall, I'm actually going to move up the surprise cut question into this section as well, uh, because David, I'm dropping a bombshell on you, but I think my surprise cut is Josh Garnett. Is it a surprise though? I mean, at this point, I think you would, it would have to be a surprise only because he, because of his draft pedigree, but in, in terms of like the tapestry of the 49ers rebuild over the last couple of years, it shouldn't be a surprise. Yeah. I think I think the surprise would be Lakin Tomlinson over Josh Garnett, but I think there is a bit of Tomlinson is our dude, and Tomlinson knows the offense at this point. Tomlinson's been in this system for a year. Tomlinson, you know, also got lifted with the Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, tide rise that happened at the end of the year with everyone. So ultimately, what's going on with Garnett and the offensive line? I think those are two separate questions. What's going on with the off- with the offensive line is they're more talented this year than they were last year across the board. What's going on with Josh Garnett? I've got no idea. And and I think that he is behind the eight ball to earn a roster spot. And and then the the other kind of question that's layered in there is the guard position still something to worry about? I am way less worried about the guard position this year than I was last year. This year you've got Cooper and that doesn't mean that it's like they've got all pro guards, but I'm less worried about the position group this year than I was last year. I mean, Jonathan Cooper is a fairly decent player and I mean, decent enough in that he's like maybe an average guard. I mean, uh, average guard from what he's done is. Uh, so I think that's the thing is like I uh, am less. I mean, maybe if you want to be less worried about guard, it's because you're saying the overall talent of the offensive line is is improved a little bit. And I, I'd be OK with that. But I still don't think I mean, it, you're still dealing with largely unknowns, right? You have. Uh, a lot of pedigree there. You have three first rounders competing for two spots. Um, however, none of those first rounders have shown the ability to really perform 
at a, a even average level consistently, right? We have Lakin Tomlinson, who, again, like you mentioned, played well, especially over the second half last year, but eight-game sample is still pretty small. Uh, that doesn't rule out the shit that he put together for the first two years of his season totally right and the team didn't think enough of him to give him that fifth year option yeah jonathan cooper is kind of in a similar boat was terrible his first two years was decent in 2016 and then kind of fell off a little bit last year and so uh and then you have josh garnett that's a complete unknown because he is transitioning schemes he's coming off a year off and he doesn't he's like you mentioned behind the eight ball i think as far as knowing the offense and and getting the details there down um, is going through this big, you know, body transformation and all that. So there's a, a hey, ton of unknowns hey, with hey. him. He's in the best shape of his best life. Shape okay, of his life, man. Best I had no shape doubts of his life about that statement. It's the only reason we could come back and do this podcast after a two week leave vacation is because I'm not in the best shape of my life. Yeah, I'll throw uh, that out there. As right long now. as that Italy? shape, as long as that Ooh. shape is round, carbs, man. Yeah, <laughs> best round shape. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I think guard uh, to me is still a, a problem. Um, you know, it's it, it could work out, I, but I think there's still a lot of unknowns there that you're dealing with. And so yeah. uh, it's it's not a position where I'm like, yeah, we're we're good to go there. I mean, no, it's, I it's a position we it's... just couldn't really address. And so we're kind of stuck with like, OK, this is what we have and we're going to try to work with this a little bit and hope that we're okay and I th- again if you can get we talked about this a lot if you can get even competent play of those positions exactly you're fine I'm, exactly um but i'm just not sure like no one here on this roster has an extended track record of competent play well and, and that's kind of my thing is no team can have all pros and all stars at every single position and so every totally. team philosophically has to choose where they spend their money and where they don't you, you think of Seattle and they're like, we're not spending our money at all on the offensive line. You know, what is even an offensive line? I don't even I'm going to go ahead and take a defensive tackle and he can play guard because that's how things work. And, and I think that if if the Niners can get even average guard play, we'll be we'll be OK. Well, the offense will be good enough to account for that. And, and that's where I think we'll probably end up is, you know, somewhere near average guard play. And, and that's better than it was last year. Yeah, we'll see. It's fine. It's fair. It's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. fine. It's early. It's Jude, man. All we'll right. See. So Ask give me, me again give when me, it's preseason. Give me your surprise cut, though, because I gave you my surprise cut, and that's Josh Garnett. Who's your surprise cut? Um, so I was kind of struck. So it's it's tough to know, I guess, what is a surprise. So I, I guess there are a surprise probably to players. You, David, a surprise oh, to man, you. There's not many people that would be a surprise to me. This is the problem. Um, I would go. It's I think hard a when surprise, you're a pessimist. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I would go maybe Earl Mitchell. Um, I, I could see as like a player that oh, that wouldn't surprise uh, me is I know that's the thing, right? It's like it wouldn't really surprise me because he's not very good. Um, but uh, as far as so I guess if I'm thinking of a definition on the fly here, wasn't that, his deal like 20 million dollars or some shit? Right. So that this is uh, to me what's going to make it a surprise, right? It's, it's got to be a veteran player uh, yeah. to a degree um, or it would be, you know, I guess or if like an early draft pick or something like that would be uh, quite a surprise. But I'm going like veteran player that has a sizable amount of money uh, attached to his contract, at least for his position. Um, And I don't know, like there's just not, uh, I I could see Earl Mitchell because he hasn't been very good. um, And they have some younger players that I think can play that position. Maybe not necessarily like natural nose tackles or anything, but again, it's a a position that's barely on the field at this point. And, And so if you can have somebody like, Sheldon Day and uh, you know maybe Julian Taylor that they drafted this year get away with some snaps at nose tackle to get you through your base downs and uh, move on yeah. from, from Earl Thomas and have more versatility when you get into sub then sure 
Uh, I love how you called him Earl Thomas, by the way. Move on from Earl Thomas. Oh, sorry. Earl Mitchell. I want to put Earl Thomas yeah. at the nose tackle position. My just bad. see what happens. Let's do it. He'd probably it. be better than Earl Mitchell. <laughs> Man, you high regard for Earl Mitchell. He uh, Four years, 16 mil. So it was not quite 20. I mean, so yeah, who's even else like is on the, the radar? Like, I don't see any receipt. Like, Aldrick Robinson, that wouldn't be a surprise. Like, uh... Looking no, at tight end, I mean, they're not going to cut. No. Nobody there is even like in I the think, running to get cut. I mean, I think someone. I think probably the most surprising thing would be a second year draft, like a player that this regime brought in that is young and showed promise last year. So, like, imagine if the team cut like Trent Taylor in favor of someone like Richie James. I would riot. You probably would, uh, and we would have to scrap our designs for a Trent Taylor T-shirt on our merch store bullshit yeah so, so I, I think that would be like probably um, more of a surprise but i mean other than that i don't i don't think anyone else yeah is. i mean i don't know like you know malcolm smith would be a candidate in theory but i don't think they have enough linebackers to really warrant uh cutting him even if he doesn't end up winning a starting job this roster uh, there's a lot of hype surrounding the 49ers and and i'm glad that there's a lot of hype because i do think the niners have had one hell of a turnaround and a quarterback fixes a lot of things but this roster is not at the point where you're going to cut a really good player. That's kind of a surprise. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, having the quarterback and head coach in place um, gets you a long way. Um, it, it, it does. It legitimately makes them competitive. It legitimately makes them playoff contenders, all that stuff, having those two pieces in place. Um, but it doesn't mean that, yeah, the rest of the roster is like uh, ready for Super Bowl contention necessarily. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't think there are many candidates that would be that big of a surprise the few yep. really good standout players they have they're gonna s- stay like yep. that's just how it, it's gonna work all right so last question before we get to the speed round is gonna come from one mr ike because mike say so who do you think is gonna have a breakout season ready to go um so i was thinking one offense and one defense oh you man i've got to think you, one later uh so i'll go for it i'll go um so on offense my thought is george kittle um, and I think that for a couple reasons. One, um, he played very well with Garoppolo at the end of last season. Two, I, there's nobody that really was added this offseason that's going to cut into his snaps and his targets, right? Like, it's still just Selleck is the only other major tight end that's on but the roster. But it's Selleck time, bro. I want to watch with, hey, just George, with look, uh, Selleck's face just counting down the seconds until he scores another touchdown. Love Selleck time as much as the next guy, but it doesn't mean that he's like necessarily a, a good tight end. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just don't know that... Because um, I think, you know, Trent Taylor would have been uh, reasonably in that discussion because kind of in a similar way, like he really played well when Garoppolo took over. And I think what he does fits well with Garoppolo's style and what they're going to be able to do on offense. But now I think you have some other options that might just cut into his snaps a little bit because now you have Dante Pettis that's there and he might see some action in the slot. You know, if, if Richie James makes the team, he might get a few snaps. And so I think it's just harder for for Trent Taylor to really get the volume necessary to call him a breakout player with like the other guys that they have. Whereas with, uh, with Kittle, I think he could become like one of the main targets in the middle of the field and they didn't add anybody to really compete with him there. Uh, so that's my guy for offense. Do you want to, are you prepared both sides of the ball? Yeah. Now? The okay. offensive guy was the one that was in my head pretty clearly. It was the defense. One. I was like, Oh crap. Okay. Uh, so on offense, I think it's Jarek McKinnon. I think he's the guy. When you think of breakout, I think of someone who is going to put up flashy numbers and, and numbers that people notice because as much as I would love for this to be Mike McGlinchey, who I think will probably have a great season. Like, 
zero sacks given up is not nearly as sexy as 500 receiving yards. And while one's probably more impressive than the other, it's just that's not what garners the attention for kind of breakout season. So I think of, you know, what's a position that is going to have some flash to it? What's a position that's going to do a a fair amount of ball touching in this offense? And and I think ultimately that's going to be Jarek McKinnon. I think he's going to get, you know, probably 60 to 70 percent of the running back snaps. He's going to be a dual threat running back in both the passing game and the run game. And I think, you know, combined yards, he could approach, you know, 15, 1600 combined yards. And that's a ridiculous season for a running back that overall uh, it has not had that many, that much volume in terms of yards. I mean, he's been like a change of pace back. And that's the, the kind of moniker that he's gotten over the course of his career. And so for him to have, a, you know, an approaching thousand yard running, running the ball season and maybe a thousand yard catching the ball season, that's that's going to be a pretty big breakout year for him. Um, I don't think he's going to have as many yards as, say, like Alvin Kamara overall, all purpose. Sure. But I think that if he approaches, you know, 80 to 90 percent of Alvin Kamara, he's going to be talked about as as a breakout kind of potential pro bowler. Oh, my God, look, the contract was actually worth it. Yeah, I mean, he definitely fits, you know, what they're going to do offensively. Uh, you know, we we liked him, you know, even if we didn't weren't, weren't in love with every aspect of the contract necessarily, like him in this offense is going to be a lot of fun to watch. So I like that one. I think. Defensively, for me, I mean, uh, this one was fairly easy for me. Buckner was the guy last year, right? Akella Witherspoon, man, my dude. Uh, he's the guy that I, I think is ready, like to to make a big leap. I think the thing with him uh, is one, he was already really good. He made a significant strides in his rookie season, right? So you saw him progress from a guy that everybody was. I remember one of our preseason preview questions uh, last year was like. Uh, how many games is Akella Witherspoon even going to play this season, right? Is he going to get on the field for more than five or six games? The over-under was eight, right? Something like that. Yeah, it was yeah. Lo- It was actually relatively low. And so, um, you know, we went from that, uh, w- which was the his status kind of in training camp and leading up to the season to him getting into the starting lineup and then kind of playing really well and becoming the clear top cornerback on the team last season. And I think athletically because of his tools there, you know, and and because he's just a phenomenal athlete that gives him a lot of room for growth, I think. And uh, he's even still relatively young playing football, right? Like he, he doesn't have a lot of years under his belt. So I think there's just a lot of room for growth there. Uh, and I think he fits what they do defensively very well. And so I think he's the guy that uh, could be really poised to come out and just have uh, a badass season this year. Man, so for me, it's really between two players. And, and I think one, one player's in the secondary, the other's along the defensive line. One is, I had to choose between Adrian Colbert and Chikwaski Tart. And I think I'm going to go with Chikwaski Tart, mostly because I think he'll be on screen more than Adrian Colbert, if that makes any sense. Like it basically, so, what, so you're going more like general fan perspective. Who does who does like the general population think is a breakout player? Kind of like if it's on if if it's if it's on screen, then like yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, not, and be... and not even Gen Pop right. But who's going to get the hype? Because I sure. think that because I think that's part of what being a breakout player is. If if we're refining that and we're saying like who's actually going to be the best player on defense that wasn't very good before, then it's got to be Solomon Thomas. Because I think Solomon Thomas is going to be probably better utilized this year and is going to be I like that one. And I think that he is going to be in more comfortable in the defense and overall going to let that athleticism that we know he has shine. 
And so I think if you're going to be like, who's going to take the, the biggest second year leap or who's going to be much better than they were before? I think it's Solomon Thomas. Who's, I think, going to get more accolades and who's going to be like, oh my God, this player is great. Like, I'm going to go buy his jersey and all that other stuff. I think it's going to be Jaquaski Tart or Adrian Colbert. Adrian Colbert because he's already a fan favorite. Jaquaski Tart because he's going to have both the opportunity to get interceptions, but I think Tart's also going to have some monster tackle numbers because he's going to be the in the box safety and he's going to be the Cam Chancellor of this defense. And I think he's going to be really, really good. He has already had a couple of really, really good years. He's had a couple of really good flash plays. So I think that if you think of like overall fanness, mm-hmm. I think Tart or Colbert. But when I think like who's gonna who's actually gonna play fantastic football where there wasn't that great football before, I think it's Solomon Thomas. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I like that. I think um I think, yeah, the safeties are gonna be fun. I think the key thing with them, right, especially Tart, I feel like, is is hopefully we get them on the field for for most of the season, right? Like that's kind of been the one thing with him. Uh, that's unfortunate. Do you have a favorite? I mean, I know we're, we want to want to get moving on here. Do you have a, a rookie? I don't remember if we talked about this in the, the rookie recap, but is there a rookie player that you think has like a better chance to make a big impact in year one than than the rest of the rookie class? Oh, man, that's a good question. I, I guess it depends. I, I guess the biggest impact is going to be first round pick Mike McGlinchey. I mean, the guy's a starter day one. And and I think that's yeah. the biggest impact. They, he's the one that they need to have the biggest impact for sure. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think honestly, for me, it's the the person that I'm going to keep my eye on the most is probably Fred Warner or Dante Pettis. Yeah, I think both those players are in my mind that they're both they're intriguing for very different reasons. Right. And, and honestly, I think I lean Fred Warner. I want to see what he does in this defense and that kind of modern long NFL linebacker. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm really interested to see how the team utilizes him or if they utilize him as a, if they utilize him at all. Like that's probably where I lean the most is Fred Warner. I agree. Yeah, he's the one I'm uh, most hopeful. Like gets yeah. a, a good opportunity to really go out there and and do his thing and and have some sort of impact. Yeah, exactly. All right, so let's get to the speed round, final part of the episode, and these are just going to be quick fire questions that we're going to try to not spend too much time on, but uh, we thought would still be fun and or important to cover. So, David. Wyoming Sean, two questions on this podcast. Way to go, Wyoming Sean. Uh, what two other players would you team up with Joe Staley and Mike McGlinchey to form the next boy band? Go. Oh, man. Um, I feel like George Kittle and Trent Taylor would be solid additions there because they all already have, like, they kind of are the skill position version of Staley and McGlinchey right now, I feel like. Uh, and so I think adding them to the mix would be pretty good. Um I think Ruben Foster's got to be in that mix. But uh, yeah, I think a uh, quick answer, George Kittle, Trent Taylor. You can't, first thing that comes to mind. You can't have a boy band without Jimmy GQ. I mean, he is, I the, mean, most, he is the most boy band ready player on the entire roster. So <laughs> I think if we're talking two players, it's Jimmy GQ. Uh, and then I would go Dante Pettis just because bleached tips were a hallmark <laughs> of any good boy band. Right, and Dante yeah. Pettis is, has got the tips bleached. And that's, I mean, that's, I mean, those are the two qualities of a boy band right there. Good I mean, looks, bleach tips. Fair. They, they call it. All right, cool. So next question from Jed on Twitter. Is the duo McKinnon-Brita tough and versatile enough? Or do you think the team needs a big bruiser back for short yardage situations? I guess the real question here is, do you have Brandon Jacobs' phone number? <laughs> um, I think the 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 need of a big bruiser back for short yardage is uh, probably even more overrated of a need than the tall wide receiver for red zone targets. Um, as far as this that's a later goes. question. 
Is it really? No, it's not. Uh, I excluded it for a reason. Okay, good. I was like, wow, man, I thought we were done with that. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of unnecessary. Um, there was an article, I mean, it's a few years old at this point, but Bill Barnwell did an article at Grantland where he looked at uh, short yardage success. I think he was specifically looking inside the five-yard line for uh, players, that's, that whether they score touchdowns or not, but it broke it down by you know body type and all these different things and basically showed that there's no like one body type that's more successful in short yardage. Uh, the effective short yardage backs are just effective backs in general. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm totally fine with McKinnon Brita being kind of the one-two punch uh, in this backfield for this season. And if you know they get some contributions elsewhere, uh, great. But I don't think they need to rush out and grab some big guy just to come in and for two carries a game. Jed, let me ask you a question. Do you own a VCR? No? Then you don't need antiquated technology, and we don't need antiquated backs. So, let's move on. Let's go to Dynasty Guru Fantasy Football. I guess that's what the FF stands for. Uh, Breida was highly inefficient last year with his snaps. Williams was not looking good and has already fumbled in minicamp. McNichols was cut by Tampa Bay, but highly productive in college. Who wins the backup role, and who do you want to see win it? I'm going to go ahead and fundamentally disagree with one of the basic premises of the question, which is Brita was highly inefficient last year with the snaps. Man, I feel like we're about to fight right now, Dynasty Guru. We are, because quite frankly, Brita was actually efficient with his snaps last year, especially compared to Carlos Hyde, who just got a monster, air quotes, contract with the Cleveland Browns. So there are a couple of ways to measure running back efficiency. Most commonly, yards per carry. David, what were Brita's yards per carry last year? Uh, he was at 4.4. Which is not bad. Certainly not. I mean, it's not great. It wasn't like a five and yards per carry. it didn't even have like, a, you know, one of the things that we like to look at when looking at yards per carry is like, okay, do they have a long, like an absurdly long run that kind of inflates yeah, that, right? A 99-yard run. Yeah, you got some 80, 90-yard run there and, and you haven't done much else, especially on a smaller number of carries. Like that can uptick your yards per carry pretty significantly and, and really mask what you were doing elsewise. He didn't have that. He had two nope. runs of uh, like 30 and 33 yards were his longest, and then an, Correct. a number of others between 10 and 15. So, yeah. So, so then you look at more advanced stats, and you look at uh, DVOA, or defense-adjusted defense value over average, which is basically football outsider statistic for measuring per-play efficiency. And you think, okay, on a per-play basis, how efficient was Matt Reader running the ball? Well, he was the fifth-ranked running back in DVOA at 13%. He was on average 13% better than average. So he was a top five running back when it came to rushing efficiency in terms of per play average, which is way better than Carlos Hyde and way better than a lot of other backs not named, I don't know, Alvin Kamara, Dion Lewis, Todd <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gurley. And even if you look at uh, their success rate, um, which is effectively, are you picking up based on the down and distance? Are you picking up enough yardage to keep the offense on schedule, right? Based on that. Uh, and, and so success rate still, uh, you know, a very solid 16th. So yeah, I'm curious as to um, where, like, uh, I'd be like legitimately curious to know, like where, where he's thinking that he was inefficient last year. So I let's don't agree to, with that, but like, let's get to the core of the question though. So the core of the question is who wins the backup role? If the, if the lead role is McKinnon, right. And then you've got, you've got basically two backup spots. Who wins those two backup spots between Williams, McNichols, uh, and Brita? So, I mean, I think Brita's uh, a, a clear number two at this stage. Um, you know, so obviously, Joe Williams and McNichols. Yeah, for the third one, 
I mean, I don't know. I honestly, I don't really love any of them behind those top two. Uh, I mean, hopefully, I, I think the hope is it should be Joe Williams is what you is what the Fortnite should be rooting for, and like that that's how it works out because I think there's more talent there with him than maybe some of the other guys. But um, yeah, I mean, right now I don't know that there's like a clear cut choice. I don't really especially care or have a strong opinion on who gets like the third spot. I think that player bar an injury um, is going to not have a significant role. I think McNichols has a clear advantage in special teams and that he's a better special teams player than Joe Williams. And, but, but I think that hopefully that I think the team hopes that Joe Williams is a better runner than McNichols. And I mean, sure. all things considered, he may be. So it, it all comes down to special teams need versus future running need. And, and I think ultimately maybe that's the surprise cut is Joe Williams, right? It is because I think they're probably looking at their running backs and they're like, we're probably yeah, good I, with McKinnon and Brita and McNichols affords us a special teams advantage that, you know, we, we definitely need. Joe Williams is probably the odd man out. Yeah. I mean, I guess to go back to your like a uh, player from last year's class, you know, brought in by this regime to get a cut. fourth round pick. Um, yeah, I think Williams would make sense. Um, again, shouldn't be that surprising. He hasn't played a snap at all um, yep. and has hasn't impressed when he has gotten opportunities. So. Uh, yeah, I think that's a, a solid candidate. For All that. right, next question. Who has more receptions this season, George Kittle or Trent Taylor? Ooh. Uh, I think I... I think I'm going to go George Kittle for part of the reason that I talked about when having Kittle as kind of the breakout player, um, just because I think that there's a good chance he has more opportunity. You know, I, I just think that he's going to be out there for more snaps, um, and, and he's going to have more opportunity to see the ball come his way. Uh, and that's really all it comes down to. Uh, Trent Taylor has several other players that are going to be uh, kind of picking away at snaps in the slot there. And so I think that's going to limit his ability to pit, put up um, big total numbers. As the kids would say, plus one. So last question here from Andre Pavia. And we uh, Paiva, sorry. And we actually got a lot of questions about the World Cup. But really, your favorite pick to win the World Cup. David, go. Uh, the good teams. If you say Italy, uh, I'm gonna punch you. Nah, man, I have I have no idea. So I like didn't even realize that the World Cup was about to happen. Did you know uh, that until... Italy? Did you know that Italy wasn't in the World Cup? No, I didn't. Yeah, know so that. Italy, I Italy. Did, I did know that like the U.S. didn't qualify from like way back when qualifying happened. Don't but, remind me. Uh, Don't remind me. It I mean, still hurts. U.S. Uh, who cares about soccer in the U.S.? I believe US. we will qualify. I believe we'll qualify. What is it? Like the America's next favorite sport since like 1972 or something <laughs> shit like that. Um, so, yeah. Um, it, I, I mean, I have no idea. This is really a, a question for I will watch. So like now that it's on and I know it's coming, it's something that I can throw on in my office and have on in the background while I'm doing other things. Um, so I, I will watch a, probably a good chunk of the World Cup. But I'm I have... I know nothing about it going into it. I'm going to smoke a brisket and we're going to watch some soccer on a Saturday and probably a Sunday. And we're going to watch hopefully Argentina, but more than likely España win the World Cup. Uh, Brazil is the leading favorite. They are Argentina has one of the only players that I know. Messi and Messi. So yeah. So I, I, I personally want Argentina to win just because I want Messi to get his ring. Messi is like the LeBron of soccer. When it comes to the World Cup stage. In the club stage, FC Barcelona, like, he, he wins a lot. He's got, like, five Ballon d'Ors. Dude's amazing. But but as an individual player, he's amazing. But you put him on his national team, Argentina, and it's just like, why is George Hill playing? 
is basically what it comes down to. It uh, feels like there's a a really is is it just me like not knowing enough players and not knowing enough about it? But it feels like there's like a fairly high number of really really good individual players that had that come from shitty countries and therefore have shitty World Cup teams. Um, I yeah, kind of, I guess ish. I mean, the only other ones that I could think of which. Uh, is like Ronaldo, right? He's Portugal, Portugal, which yep. isn't very good. Uh, uh, Portugal's then, very good. Oh, are they? I thought yeah. they sucked. No, didn't no. they get knocked out early last time or something like that? Uh, yeah, a little bit, but they're still pretty good. I mean, they're probably going to get to that. They're definitely going to get to the breakout stage. They might make it to the semis. Who knows? It depends on how things play out. But oh, okay. I mean, look, they're they're not like the elite. The elite this year are uh, Germany, Brazil, um, Spain, and oh god, there's one more team I'm forgetting. Um, oh, France. Uh, like, that's probably going to be the final four this year. Um, and, but yeah, Portugal's like, Portugal's going to get out of the breakout stage. Um, but my, like, my heart really wants Lionel Messi to get his goddamn World Cup, but I'm still rooting for Spain. I think Spain's going to do it. Um, and Brazil is the juggernaut that you got to knock over. All right. I'll yeah. be watching. I'll have maybe more opinions as we go. I have zero opinions right now. So Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm super excited about the World Cup. I'm super excited that the Warriors dispatched the Cavs early so I don't have to compete. I'm actually a little sad. It all happened while I was on the honeymoon. I didn't get a chance to watch any of it. So I was yeah. like, I was hoping that it would last long enough to where I can like, all right, I'll get game six, maybe seven once I get home. And no, dude, two years ago, I went on my honeymoon with my wife and we, we came back from Greece and I was super excited and we came home to watch game seven of the NBA finals. And of course, the Warriors had been up three one and then went down three two and then went down three three. And I was like, OK, it's back at Oracle. We're going to win this. It's going to be amazing. And yes, the only game I got to see that year after coming back from my vacation was the Warriors lose to the. So I guess what you're trying to say is it could be worse. It could be 100 percent worse. <laughs> <laughs> so that about does it for this week's edition of the Better Rivals podcast. Make sure that you follow us on Twitter. You can follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? Uh, that's going to be at Newman NFL. If you want to buy any of our merch, you can do so at T Public. The link is on my Twitter page. So if you had been listening in the last 10 seconds, you would know exactly where to get that link. Uh, make sure you leave us a review on iTunes because it helps other people find the show and it improves our rankings on that old iTunes site. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll be back next week with Scheme Month. And as always, go Niners. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, Bears and video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.